Welcome to Word from the Herd, produced and brought to you by the Kimmel Foundation for Recovering Leadership. Welcome to Word from the Herd. I'm your host, Thomas Hill, and today I am so excited because I am with Mo Anderson. Now, if you don't know Mo, you should. Mo is currently the vice chairman of the board of Keller Williams, uh, but previously she was the first CEO and co-owner of Keller Williams Realty International. And under her watch, they went from really just a handful of locations to hundreds of locations worldwide. They're currently the number one real estate franchise in the world, both in size, units, and in volume. So that's really incredible. And Mo's current role is to basically cultivate the firm's culture, uh, trying to inspire, I guess, over 189,000 agents in 32 different countries. She wrote a book called A Joy-Filled Life, Lessons from a Tenant Farmer's Daughter Who Became a CEO. And she also has moanderson.com, which is an online mentoring community. We are really, really excited, and it's a special pleasure to have you with us today, Mo. I'm just so excited to be here, Tom. This is just going to be fun and awesome. Well, you have so many experiences, and you and I have talked before, but um, before we get into those, before we get into your stories, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all my guests, just kind of right out of the, out of the gate, and that is, what? tell me something about the worst job you ever had. <laughs> Uh, you know, the worst job I ever had, I was quite young, and it was to ride on a manure spreader <laughs> that my father used to fertilize the ground. And I was young, and, and I think he just wanted me to ride with him, but I was paid a little tiny bit of money for that job <clears throat> and then I was to tell him when we got out of line in other words he didn't want to duplicate what the ground that he had already covered so I sort of watched the back he watched the front I think it was just an effort to um, put me to work <laughs> right. and that was the worst job I ever had and it didn't smell good <laughs> at all. I can't even imagine. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a manure spreader, not not having been grown up on a farm or, or knowing much about farms. So wow, that's that's uh that's interesting. So you kind of you know gave me a, a, a great segue into the kind of the first question I want to ask you because one of the things that's so spectacular about you is the the really the differential from where you started in life to where you are in life now. So tell us a, a short version of that story. Give me a little background of, of your life and your growing up. Well, I grew up on tenant farms because my father was a sharecropper. And that certainly means that he moved from farm to farm, depending on who needed him to take care of their land. And at a very young age, he began, my mother and father gave me a lot of chores. So I developed a very serious work ethic on that farm. And on a farm, the work never ends. So it's pretty 
easy to teach kids to work when they're on a farm. It's harder when they live in a town and there's not that much work. <clears throat> I went to public school, rode a bus to public school. However, an interesting point is when I was five years old, they let me come to the country school where my siblings were attending. And so for kindergarten, which they didn't have, <laughs> I walked a mile and a half a day with my siblings to school. And I got to visit any time that I wanted to. Then the next year, they closed the rural school and we all went to the grade school. And then my siblings were older in Drummond, Oklahoma. Uh, after graduating from high school, I worked my way through college. It was a real struggle, and I learned the meaning of tenacity because I never knew from one semester to the next if I would make it. But the dream was to become a music teacher and in public schools, and I couldn't do that at the University of Oklahoma because I worked from about 4.30 to 10 o'clock at night and they closed the practice rooms at 10. So I had no access to a practice room, couldn't afford a piano, tried to get some people to give me an old one and that didn't work out, couldn't afford to rent one. So I gave up the dream, which uh, was really, really hard, and I majored in elementary education. But the interesting thing is this. When God puts a dream in your DNA, it comes true in spite of your circumstances. So on my first interview after I graduated from o OU, I interviewed... Uh, in Midwest City, and the principal of that school at the end of the interview said, would you consider the possibility of becoming our music teacher? Oh my goodness. I nearly fainted and fell out of the chair and said yes really fast. <laughs> so my dream came true. So that's it in a nutshell. Wow. So after all of that, you know, growing up in, in obviously difficult circumstances and putting yourself through college, I, am I correct in you were the first one in your family to graduate from college? First one to, to go and graduate, yes. Which is amazing, and uh, it's always interesting, the, the people who pioneer that in a given family, because obviously you didn't have anybody to look up to that had done that, right? It wasn't an expectation yeah. in your family. But after all of that, and then getting kind of to have your dream job, you did teach in the public schools for quite for a while. 14 years. So what, what happened that you kind of swapped over to real estate? And tell us a little bit about, you know, getting into that and, and how you got to where you are now. Well, I loved, loved teaching music. I taught the kids on the other side of the tracks. Now, do you know what that means, Tom? I believe I do, but why don't you tell us anyway? Well, it means they're usually the children that are underprivileged, have critical circumstances in their lives, and really 
have families that struggle financially, just like I did. And the interesting thing, that was one of the most interesting experiences of my life. So can I share just a little bit of it? Please. Um, I told those kids they weren't going to get one inch of sympathy from me because they struggled. That wasn't going to play a part in our relationship. <clears throat> that I was going to be tougher than heck on them because I wanted them to experience what it felt like to do something really, really well. And those kids bought into that dream or that vision. <clears throat> and I had a fourth, fifth, and sixth grade choir that people drove from all over the state to hear those kids sing. So when we had our performances, the school gymnasium was packed full. And then I would be out on the field with the boys cheering them on in football and the girls in basketball or whatever they were playing, softball, whatever. And what I learned in that 14-year experience is the importance of standards and how they lift people up. When you have standards, they rise to the standard. And I can't tell you how important that became to me when I became the CEO of Keller Williams. <clears throat> now your question, how in the world did I get into real estate? Richard came home from Conoco, oil company one evening in Ponca City, Oklahoma. And he walked in and he said, honey, I've just enrolled you in a class. And I said, well, what class did you enroll me in? And he said, a real estate class. And I said, why in the world did you do that? I'm busy with my teaching. Why would I want to take a real estate class? And he sort of lied through his teeth, and he said, because I just wanted you by my side, which was not true at all. <laughs> well, it might have been true just a teeny bit, but not very much. He saw how hard I worked as a teacher, and I couldn't make any money. I had dreamed that when I grew up, I wouldn't be poor anymore. And it quickly became apparent to me that when you're a school teacher, you, it's almost impossible to make more money than you need. Because I wanted to make more money than I needed so I could give it away. Mm. And he um, just sort of pushed me into real estate, and I went kicking and screaming. And... I was the worst new agent that ever walked the face of the earth. It took me almost a year to get anything going. Finally, it all began to gel for me, and you know the rest of the story. Oh, my goodness. That's incredible. So um, not in your plan originally to be where you are today, but obviously in someone's plan, right? <laughs> God's plan for our life is a whole lot better than our plan for our lives. Uh, trust me. <laughs> Amen. Absolutely. 
So let's talk a little bit about Keller Williams because that's played such an incredibly large role in your life and um, is obviously what you're predominantly known for. And now you're in the position of um, kind of kind of leading. You're not the CEO anymore, but you're still very much a part of the organization and and protecting and and promoting the culture. And so one of the things that I, I think would be really interesting to hear you tell us about is, you know, how do you interact with and, and show value? You know, we what we're talking about to leaders is how we value the people that we serve, um, how we demonstrate and communicate to them that they are intrinsically and equally valuable uh, because we believe that that's what really matters to people. So how do you do that in an organization as large as Keller Williams? People are spread all over the globe and, and you've got a couple of hundred thousand people basically that you're trying to touch. I think that's probably going to max out anybody that's listening to this. I don't think any leader that's going to listen to this has more people that they're trying to influence than you. So tell us some stories about how you do that, how it works for you to communicate those standards and that people are valuable in the organization. Well, first of all, our company is made up of little pieces, small units out in the field, and there are... I think 850 units in and actually 47 countries now. Oh, oh it was goodness. 38, but we've added some more countries um, uh, lately. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, if, if you're going to value your people, one of the most important things you need to do is to decide how we're gonna treat each other. Meaning leadership and the real estate agents. And so we define culture in our company as the predetermined way we're gonna treat each other. And we have a little acronym that spells out how we're gonna do that. It's called Y four C two T's. So you think of a W and then an I, which we pronounce as Y, and then C C C C, and then two T's, and then an E, and then an S. <laughs> so each of those letters represent a word. For example, the W represents win, win, or no deal. If it isn't good for you and it isn't good for me, we don't do it. It has to be win for each person. I'll just give you two or three more. One of them is I, integrity. Do the right thing. Now, we might disagree on what the right thing is, but we're committed to do the right thing if we can figure out what the right thing really is. And then another one, trust, T. Trust begins with honesty. And you can't really communicate and make progress on uh, an issue of conflict unless you trust the other person. And then we've just recently added an E, which stands for equality meaning that we care about everybody and we want everybody to have an opportunity in our company. We want everyone to feel welcome. We want everyone to succeed at a high level. 
And then the last one I'll mention is S. It stands for success through people. Because to be successful, we need people more than they need us. And so we succeed through people, not around people. So that and then one other pillar of our culture is God and family first and the business second. Now remember, we're a secular company, but we still, that is our most important stated value, God and family first and the business second. So that's just a, in a quick moment, that's the foundational piece of the culture. So it's really interesting to see how that works in a company as large as ours. First, everything rises and falls on leadership. So in all of these little pieces of the company, all of these 850 offices in 47 countries, the leadership has to really understand the vision of our culture. And they have to know the Y4C2Ts. Now we have other pieces of the culture that we encourage them to use at team meetings and to have someone talk about all the time to use in their agent leadership council meetings. But if the team leader, which is like a manager in most companies, if the team leader doesn't really believe in it and espouse it and care about it and promote it, then you can have a piece of your company without much culture. And what I love to tell people is the culture's based on eternal truths. It doesn't really matter what happens outside of our company. The culture will be the bedrock that we still live by no matter what happens, no matter who's elected, no matter if we have riots or don't have riots, the bedrock of our company are, is this found, are these foundational pieces of the culture. Now, business models can change and systems can change, but you know what? That culture never changes. We can add to it like we added equality, but... It's based on eternal truths. So number one, you have to train your leadership how to keep the culture alive within a company. We do that primarily through the agent leadership council in each office. And when they're excited about it and they promote it, then it really spreads like COVID, <laughs> you know, in, in the office. And so we have some offices that are so culturized, you just can't believe it. We have some that are on the way, 
and we have some where the team leaders are new and maybe they have new agents. And so it's the beginning of the road to build culture. We do it through having a cultural summit. We honor uh, the cultural ambassadors that are chosen by the regions. I do it with 1,000 million Zoom calls <laughs> <laughs> with the offices. Uh, we do it by recognition uh, for Red Day, which is the day we close our offices and do, do good stuff in the community. And, and what's so exciting about this culture thing it, and appreciating your people is I worried about our foreign markets. I thought, what if their life is so different than ours that maybe Red Day and um, all the different things we do, KW Kids Can, KW Cares, and all the things we do might not be accepted. They are eating it up. Like we have a, a, a lot of agents in Turkey, in Istanbul, and they had their first red day. I woke up that morning, and of course their red day was already over when I woke up, and there were 230 emails from different agents telling me how excited they were because they helped a hospital get hundreds of blankets, and they... Uh, redid the landscape around the hospital, and I've forgotten what else they did. And they said, this is awesome because nobody does this here. And wow. so I'm finding the foreign markets are just starving for this kind of thing. And that just gives me such joy. I think it's so exciting. <laughs> that is amazing. So... Mo, I heard several things that, that I want to make sure that our listeners picked up on. Um, first of all, you know, obviously, uh, you all spend a lot of time, you spend a lot of time communicating and re-communicating the vision, the vision for the culture, the vision for why the company exists and what the company is going to do. And, and as you said, how we're going to treat each other. And so obviously, significantly important for us as leaders uh, to, to really over-communicate. People have often heard me say, when you think you've over-communicated, double or triple it, you know, because you you're, you're never there. We never, never finish with that. I heard you mention several times uh, ways that you recognize people, encourage people, and so there's a lot of, of opportunity within your organization for people to be recognized for doing the right thing, right, for, for participating in the culture and, and being culture ambassadors. And then kind of a great transition to the next question. I also heard that, you know, you all are involving everybody in the company has an opportunity to get involved outside of the job where Keller Williams in their local areas are doing things for the community or investing in the community. And that seems to be one of the things that gets people most excited, right? Is when, when they're part, kind of part of your vision for Keller Williams to be an agent of change, and an agent of generosity in the, in the community. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Obviously, um, you are one of the most generous people I know. And, and you said yourself 
that your kind of one of your goals in life was to make more than you needed so that you could give it away, which coming from your background, coming from a poor background, that's a, an amazing place to have gotten to. And instead of thinking, hey, I want to have enough so that I can just have whatever I want since I didn't have, you wanted to have more so that you could give it away. And both you personally and Keller Williams have been hugely generous in the, in the community. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Tell, tell us a little bit, you know, maybe tell us some stories about some things that you have have had the opportunity to do and the impact that it has had in your community as you and the company have kind of shared the wealth uh, that has been generated through through Keller Williams? Well, just one example. Um, Edmund, off, the Keller Williams office in Edmund has a run every year. And this year they gave $200,000 to um, I believe it was eight, no, 10 charities, 501c3s. And these charities, you know, they, they appreciate that run so much. Like the number one charity who got the most people to participate in the run uh, got $50,000 out of that 200000 Everybody who applied for a grant got a thousand, and then we divvied out the rest to the other nine charities. But two hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money, and it's so interesting how the agents will become involved in some of those charities. So, and and there are new charities that pop up every year. So that's just one example. But one of my favorite, favorite projects in the whole world is in Baltimore. And about seven offices go together. They go into that um, inner city ghetto where they had the riots about two or three years ago. And it was really severe. We are the only people who have continued to go into that area every year. We're on... We just finished our ninth year. The police let us in at 6 o'clock in the morning, and then they want us out of there by 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. <clears throat> and they do two schools. And each year, uh, we take the children to the park and do the most fun, wonderful things you could ever hope to see, and we call it a day that a child would never forget. And then we have our volunteers all organized into teams that go into the school building. Like one year, they built a pantry because the kids are desperate for food. They built a clothes closet and then see during the year, the agents keep filling that clothes closet with new clothes from Target and Walmart and other pennies and other stores who are so wonderful to help us. And then they built uh, out of a room that was not being used, a beautiful teacher's lounge. So here come the painting crew. <laughs> They paint the walls in the hall. They're beautiful walls with giraffes and lions and tigers. And then here comes the cleanup crew. It's so well organized, you cannot believe it. 
And if you just multiply that by 850 offices all over the world, there's some incredible things happening. So that's Red Day, renew, energize, and donate. But there's more. <laughs> there's KW Cares. And KW Cares takes care of the people inside our company. I tell everyone, if everyone had a philanthropic model similar to ours, we wouldn't have to have welfare in this country. Because when anybody in our company has a tragedy, if it's in their immediate family, then they can have a grant. Because our precious people give anywhere between five and seven million dollars a year to KW Cares. So see, that's enough money we can take care of national disasters. Um, one couple were driving to a restaurant to celebrate their 25th anniversary when they were shot by a random gang. And she became a paraplegic. I don't know what they would have done without KW Cares. And then KW Kids Can is our project to speak to the next generation and teach them about the entrepreneurial way of life and teach them about the principles of business and principles of money. So we, we infiltrate as many high schools as we can. <laughs> That's spectacular. Okay, in the few minutes that we have left, I have two things that, that I want to ask you. And... Um, but the, fir the first is, again, so many examples of generosity at Keller Williams under your leadership and in your own personal life. What, where in your life did that happen for you? Tell me what, what triggered that for you that made you want to be a generous person and, and, and what has motivated you as, as you've gone through life to do that? My father and my mother. They had no money. They could not give a penny to anyone, except occasionally my father would give a penny to a beggar who sat outside J.C. Penney's store in Enid, Oklahoma. And I would panic as a child when I saw him put that dime or quarter into the little basket in front of the man who was begging because it was all he had. But here's what I saw as a child. I saw my parents be the first person at a, a neighboring farm when there was a death. And my mother cooked something. And my father offered to do chores or help around the farm. When anybody became ill, guess who was the first person there? And I watched that my whole life. And I thought, when I grow up, I'm not only going to be the first person there, but I'm going to have some money, <laughs> you know, that I can give. <laughs> and um, that and then another experience I had with my dad was what lit the fire in my belly to know that it's okay to make money. Because when you grow up in poverty, you have these weird thoughts well, I'm not worthy of a big commission check, or I'm not worthy of this kind of profit each year. And it took me years to get over those negative 
tapes that play in your head. But I got over it, <laughs> let me tell you. So I tell every one of our agents, I want you to be as wealthy as you can be so you can learn the joy of giving because you need to make more money than you need. You need to solidify your family first and make sure you've got your college funds set up and then you make more money than you, uh, than you need so you can give it away. But watching my parents was what made it happen. That's, that's fantastic. Okay, last question. If you had an opportunity, and I know you have lots of opportunities, but a new hypothetical opportunity to speak into the lives of young emerging leaders, what's the most important piece of advice you would give them? That's interesting that you asked that question because that was the question I was asked the other day when I spoke for the young leaders of the United Way. They said, what are the three things that we need to do to be great leaders in our community? And I said, number one, you need to deepen your faith. Whatever your faith is, you need to deepen it because your values come from your faith. And your values will determine what you believe. And when you really believe in those values, decisions are easy to make because you know what you believe. So that's number one. Number two, you have to learn that Understanding the purpose of your business or the purpose of your charity or the purpose of what you're doing is key. That's mission. Mission means purpose. So what is your purpose? For example, in our company, it's careers worth having, businesses worth owning, lives worth living, experiences worth giving, and legacies worth leaving. So you can take each one of those and really go into depth. So what is the purpose of you being a leader in your community? What's your purpose? And, and if you accomplish your, your purpose and you've achieved it, then that's really your mission. For example, for us, it was our, I've already given you the mission, but our vision was that we would be the company of choice if we did all those things. Right. So those were uh, the first two things. And then I said the third thing, you need to become knowledgeable about socialism because... <clears throat> We seem to have a lot of people in a generation that believes the socialistic uh, form of government is far better, would be, we would be far better off under socialism. And then I look at him and I said, I'm 83. I've had a chance to watch the Soviet Union. I've watched Cuba. I've watched East, East Germany, and let me tell you what, <laughs> it doesn't work, and now you have an opportunity to watch Venezuela. And I'm a product of a capitalistic democracy that is a republic. I'm a product of that, 
And had I been born and raised in a socialistic company, I wouldn't have had the opportunity because I'm told what to do. And if you really want to be a leader, you better make sure we stay a democracy. <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. Mo, thank you so much for spending time with me today. It has been wonderful. I imagine that we could talk for hours. You must have hours sto- so many hours. so many stories, and I, and I wish we could. But um, I would recommend, uh, first of all, that our listeners get your book, A Joy-Filled Life. Lessons from a Tenant Farmer's Daughter Who Became a CEO. That's, that's incredible. And then also, if you want to know what Mo is up to, you can always uh, tune into moanderson.com and, and see what she's doing to, to spread uh, all the things that she's learned and all the things that she's accomplished. Again, Mo, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been wonderful. This has been A Word from the Herd. We're really glad you were with us this week, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Word from the Herd, a production of the Kimmel Foundation. For more information about the Kimmel Foundation, visit us at thekimmelfoundation.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at thekimmelfdn. Please share this podcast and join us again next week for another Word from the Herd. Word from the Herd.